1: Our first scripture reading comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1-9. through 9. King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple will not be for mortals, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze. The iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones, and marble in abundance. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of of my God, I give it to the house of my God 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. And for all the work to be done by artisans, gold for the things of gold, and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating themselves to the day of the Lord? Then the leaders of ancestral houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands of the hundreds, and the officers of the king's work. They gave for their service of the house of God, 5,000 talents, of, 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord, and into the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, because these had given willingly. For the single mind they had offered freely to the Lord. King David also rejoiced greatly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Continuing with our scripture, our second scripture passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I was thinking about the last time I was so regularly in particular passages. I went to a Christian school in Pennsylvania growing up, and we memorized Scripture verses every week. And so throughout the week, at least, I would be in one passage. I have loved in this series the six-week commitment to really learn and hear from the Holy Spirit in two particular ways that God speaks to us in God's holy word. So let us hear again from 2 Corinthians chapter nine, God's living word for you and for me. Now it is not necessary for me to write you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your eagerness, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to have been empty in this case, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you in this undertaking. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as an extortion. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us for the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings To God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that He has given you. Thanks be to God for God's indescribable gift friends this is the word of the lord thanks be to god
0: before i uh, begin i remember reading uh, a book by dan harris some of you may have read it a few years ago called 10% happier and he talks about this experience when he was at the news desk he was an anchor and and he had a panic attack and couldn't finish the broadcast. And I remember reading it, I was on the plane, and I thought, that is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. If I was in the pulpit, and I started to preach, and I felt my blood pressure racing, felt my arteries throbbing, and couldn't go on. And sure enough, if you were here two weeks ago, my worst fear came true. And while, uh, as I said to you in the email blast I sent last week, a couple weeks ago, uh, that that moment was brought on by some prednisone that I was on. I'd never been on it before. That thing did me dirty, got the heart going a little bit. Uh, I have bursitis in my elbow. I threw one football two weeks ago. I went to see Tom Brady go beat my Eagles a couple weeks ago. I thought, he can do it, I can do it. I threw one football and I had bursitis in my right elbow. They put me on this prednisone. Uh, It got my heart going. And thankfully, uh, good care of David Watson, of Adam Tavolero, of Stephanie Lane. Uh, I didn't go on with that sermon. And it was a good sermon. I I do hope you went back and watched the 9.30. Um, I I knew that something was wrong in my body. And um, I'm fine physically my EKG, had a heart monitor, everything's good. Physically, I'm good. But a moment like that, some of you have gone through moments like that, Um, it's very anxiety-producing and very stressful. And in some ways, I described it to some close friends as sort of the prednisone kicked a door down for me to see some things I haven't been seeing lately, the way I'm carrying some of the grief that I'm carrying, for the saints that we've lost in this church over the past year of COVID time, how hard that's been. These saints that we've lost that we'll celebrate and name next week in our All Saints Sunday service. And by the way, this little campus master plan and capital campaign That's stressful for all of us. I said to one of my dear friends, Aisha Brooks Lytle, who uh, preached back in September, I talked to her about what had happened and even sort of the anxiety I knew I'd feel when I stepped back in this pulpit because of what happened two weeks ago. And she said something to me that was so wise. She said, Tony, you cannot do this work with shallow breath. So I'm going to invite you to join me in doing something that I have never done before. I want to begin this sermon by breathing. Some of you, this is old hat. Meditation and prayer like this is something that's part of your routine. I'm making it part of my routine. To begin each day, breathing in the breath of God. Knowing that I'm safe, that I'm called, and I'm in the right place at the right time. When I'm in the presence of the Spirit, like we are right now. I've learned that you get 20% more oxygen when you breathe through your nose instead of your mouth. Some of you knew that. I did not know that. So I invite you just to take a posture of prayer. Maybe close your eyes. And just breathe with me. And then I'm going to pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are continuing on in this sermon series, and as we continue to prepare as a congregation for the launch of our uh, capital campaign in just a few weeks, today I want to talk about something very specific and very particular about generosity. And the big idea of this sermon, it's the one thing I want you to remember. If you don't remember anything else, this is what I want you to remember. I want you to remember that our generosity, how we show up in the world as generous people, how we show up with our hands filled, ready to give, directly correlates to our testimony. In fact, the way we are generous, the way that we give, not just of our money, but also of our time and our talents, actually tells the story of God. In some form or fashion, it tells the story of God. Our generosity is a witness. It's part of our testimony. In that way, it's a discipline like evangelism. That how we give, how we show up in the world with generous hearts and generous hands tells a particular story. And Christians are called to be generous because we want to tell The story of a generous God. A God who delivers good news for all people. A God who has worked in your life and has worked in my life. A God who has met us in the valley of the shadow of death. Who has met us on the mountaintop. That God is with us and for us in Jesus Christ. And because of his life and because of his death and because of his resurrection, we know how to live. We are free to live. We're free to die. And we're free to be raised in this age and in the age to come. You see, when you give as part of your testimony, as part of your witness, when you respond with generosity to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you actually proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The big idea is this, is that your generosity and my generosity is deeply connected to our witness. It's deeply connected to the testimony that we share in and for the world. Katie mentioned we've been reading these texts for quite a while. We're at it again in Paul's second correspondence, second letter rather, uh, in his correspondence with the church in Corinth. And we sort of hear him, and some of us who've been around the Bible a little bit longer than others may have come to appreciate that the Apostle Paul can be a little bit ornery right? The Apostle Paul can be a little bit terse, a little bit curt. Um, He's sort of pressing the church in Corinth to make good on their promise. That's what's going on in this uh, conversation. He's asking them to make good on their promise of what they committed financially. We don't know what the gift was for, this gift from Corinth to Macedonia, the gift from these a little more mature Christians in Corinth to the, the emerging church in Macedonia. We don't know what it was for. We don't know how much it was. But Paul is asking them to follow up on their commitment. Now, as I said, Paul can... Uh, seem a little bit ornery. He can see, seem a little bit terse. Sometimes he can feel a little bit heavy-handed in his writings. And I think this is one of those examples, right? Did you hear what he said? He said, don't humiliate yourselves and don't humiliate us by withholding what you promised, right? He kind of shows up sounding like a loan shark or a bookie, right? Like, where's my two dollars? dating myself. That's a cultural reference. Where's my money? Where is my money? Now, he's not part of Tony Soprano's crew. He's not part of the Corleone family. He's not acting like a loan shark or a bookie. Something else is going on. You know, when somebody sort of presents as anxious or they show up as anxious or, 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 or they're really focused and they may seem heavy or ornery, you know there's something else going on below the surface. And what's going on below the surface for Paul is that he firmly believes that the Corinthians' witness of the gospel is connected to them fulfilling their promise of generosity. He understands that our witness, our witness when we're generous, proclaims the good news. And the Macedonian Christians need to learn more about the good news. And he wants the Corinthian church to be a part of that witness, to be a part of that confession, to be a part of that testimony. We start to understand that a little bit more as he he goes on, that he's caring about them getting their testimony right, because he understands that this gift is connected to the gospel that they're proclaiming. Listen to what he writes. He says, Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ. Now, this word testing in the Greek, it means to authenticate or to prove. And so Paul is saying that your gift, your generosity proves something. It authenticates something. It proves the gospel of Christ. It's a testimony of what God has done in your life, of what God's doing in your life. This generosity is connected to this witness and to this story That God is telling. That's why Paul says later on, he says, This is a confession of the gospel of Christ. This is what you are doing. Again, the big idea our generosity to the causes of the kingdom of God, our generosity to the causes of the gospel is part of our confession. It's part of our testimony to what God's done in your life and what God has done in my life, what God has done in and for the world, in and as Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is this, that God is with us and for us this day and every day and in the age to come and we have nothing to be afraid of for he is our Lord and Savior and he will make a way for us and we respond to that gift, respond to that gospel in our generosity. First time I met Miller Woodson, was at the beginning of one of our early chapel and communion services. He introduced himself and he gave me a big hug. He said, Pastor, it is so good to be with you today. Praise God. As the service began, it became more and more clear that Miller Woodson did not grow up in a Presbyterian church. His choruses of amens and hallelujahs flowed freely throughout the service. He stood for the scripture every time we read it. He would hold his Bible in one hand and in the other hand he would have his, hands out, his hand outstretched, his palm to the sky as if he was waiting for something, which he actually was. As he came forward for communion, he received the elements with a moving mixture of exuberance and, and reverence. And as the juice dipped bread went down his gullet, he let out one more amen and he returned to his seat in the chapel pews and he got down on his knees and he began to pray. Following the benediction, he came forward with a pew envelope and he dropped it in the offering plate, all part of a routine that I grew increasingly fond of as we worshiped together week in and week out. Miller grew up in uh, Alabama and eventually landed a delivery job as a young adult. One day at work, uh, he was robbed at gunpoint. He was actually shot in the head and miraculously, he survived. And anybody who had heard his story, and I know there's many of you who had heard it, uh... Understood that he knew that God had kept him here for a reason, that he understood that his life was full of purpose, that God had saved his life, and that he was here to contribute to the gospel with a generous spirit and an overflowing abundance of love, that's exactly what he did. He would tell you that he chose, by God's calling, to live on the streets. He chose to do that. He came here to Atlanta to do that and to start a ministry. He had money from his, uh, his social security benefits from all the years he spent in the workforce. And, and he had a storage unit where he kept most of his things. And he would occasionally, occasionally rent a hotel room if the weather was not conducive for outdoor sleeping. Mr. Woodson is how many of us came to know him. He eventually uh, joined our church. He became a member of this congregation. And after that first year of membership, when I was reviewing the giving for that year, I noted that Mr. Woodson had given exactly $2,990 to the church during that annual campaign, that year-long budget. It was a a true tithe, 10% from his Social Security check. His gift that year made him the 283rd highest giver in a church of 950 households. I remember asking him about his giving. And I remember when we would talk about giving, he would not talk about paying for services. He would not talk about obligation. He would talk about joy. He would talk about the gospel. He would talk about the ways that God saved his life and put him on the right path. He talked about the ways in which God had redeemed his life. And now he was called to share in abundance and with generosity. His giving was directly tied to his testimony. It was his confession. It was a statement of faith. Miller died this year. News that kind of caught us off guard because we hadn't seen him for a little while. It hit us hard for those who knew him and came to love him. As I said, he'll be one of the two dozen saints that we remember next Sunday at our All Saints service. And I miss him. And I want you to know that. I miss him. I even miss how his way of worshiping annoyed some of the congregation and how I'd have to hear about it the next day. I miss his friendship and his encouragement and his contagious joy. I miss his testimony. And I miss his witness to the gospel. I mean, it... It changed me, converted me, it poked and prodded me to be a better Christian. And it reminds me, even as I think about Him now, of all that God has done in my life. And that inspires me. His generosity inspired me, it made me want to be more generous. It makes me want to show up with a fuller hand and a fuller heart. And it makes me want to grow my own testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what generosity can do, right? It can inspire people. It can convert people. It can, it can reintroduce people or introduce for the first time this great God that we have. That as we so freely give of ourselves to one another and to the world and to God, we embody what God has given to us. About a week after Mr. Woodson died, I had dinner with a member who was ready to make a substantial gift to the capital campaign. And there was no reluctance uh, in her desire or confidence in giving the gift, but But she did articulate uh, that she wanted to mark her gift in a particular way, she wanted to consecrate it, she didn't want to just send a check into the church, that she wanted to mark the time, she wanted to mark the opportunity. And so she wrote me this little note, she said, on Saturday, while watching the pre-race coverage of the Kentucky Derby, I saw a man with a handful of cash make a cash bet of $2.4 million. She said, I don't want to comment on his choice to do that. She said, but what caught my attention was the physicality of it. In making my gift to the capital campaign, she said, it all happened with a conversation and a few very short emails. I'm feeling the lack of physicality in the gift, she said, and so began musing about how I might do something about it. How can I create some sort of ritual or event in person at church, perhaps even in one of our gardens. I have a few ideas about this, she said, and they include your presence. Are you open to doing this with me? Of course, I said, yes, of course. What a wonderful privilege to mark time in that way, to mark testimony in that way, to mark generosity in that way. We gathered in the Dupree Garden, And she brought a bowl, and she brought some water. And we each took turns pouring the water out, reminding us of our baptism and the claim that God has on our lives. We reminded one another of the abundance that flows and flourishes our way from God's grace and God's mercy. And we prayed, and then she gave testimony. She said, my gift to the Capitol campaign has the feel for me of a spiritual discipline or an act of spiritual faithfulness. She said, it's been on my mind for a while and now seems to be the right time to follow through and get it done. It was not a hastily made decision. While musing about the gift, I let my fingers help me think, setting aside time for journaling about my thoughts and hopes. And this is what I hope. That this is a gift of love to my congregation, my part of the body of Christ, to help foster its ability to offer welcome, to offer radical hospitality, so that others may come to know themselves as beloved sons and daughters of the one who gave us life and who continues to woo us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. Can you hear it in our words? Can you hear the testimony? Can you hear the, the witness? Can you, can you hear the gospel? This gift, it's, it's not just about money. It's not just about a campus plan. It's not just about a capital campaign. It's not just about an annual budget. It's about a testimony. It's about a witness. It's about seriously considering what God has done and then saying, how am I going to respond to this indescribable gift? Not just with money, but my own heart and my body and my mind. How am I going to respond to God's faithfulness in these days and in the days to come? And I wonder, what if we started considering every moment of generosity every full hand that we offer? What if if we began to think of it as our witness? Can you let yourself go to that place, the depth of that place of knowing what God has done for you and for me? Can you let that saturate your heart and your mind and your body? Can you feel that and think that gospel? And can it motivate you to respond in ways that tell that story over and over and over again. Friends, it's about testimony. It's about witness. It's about the story of God's love for us and for this world and the way we want to tell it as a church to this city and beyond. So as the days approach, what is held for us outside of these walls even in this day, what's held for us in this impending capital campaign, what's held for us in all the places God has called us. What's your story? What's your testimony? What form and witness, what form and shape rather, will your witness take? Amen.